Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sun Guy Nation, welcome to the show here on another Friday afternoon. Real quick before we jump into things with the guest, some show notes. If you're looking for some professional wrestling in the next few days, tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana at 1151 South Kentucky Avenue. Northwest Pro, where you can find myself later tonight at the Kai Martial Arts Studio in South Hill, Washington. WCPW in San Francisco and Rocky Mountain Pro in Inglewood, Colorado. Tomorrow night, Northwest Pro, you can also find me. That one is at the Key Peninsula Civic Center in Vaughn, Washington. New Japan Pro Wrestling making its debut in Seattle, Washington. Cloud Nine Wrestling in Minot, North Dakota. DCW in Salt Lake City, Utah. Wrestlers Lab in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey. UCW in Saginaw, Michigan. SRA in Westville, New Jersey. UCW in Salina, Tennessee. Wrestle South in Lacey Springs, Alabama, ECW in Jeffersonville, Indiana, FWF in Warsaw, Indiana, PPW in Bedford, Indiana, UPW in Iron Mountain, Michigan, New Era Wrestling in Shelbyville, Indiana, XVW in Dayton, Ohio, RWC in Lumberton, North Carolina, DPW in Orlando, Florida, Rocky Mountain Pro returning to Inglewood, Colorado on Saturday. Generation Next Wrestling in Maysville, Kentucky. NWS in Covington, Kentucky. BIW in Fountain Hill, Arkansas. And APW in Cincinnati, Ohio. Also tomorrow night, referee Aubrey Edwards hosting her first Out of the Pacific Northwest seminar that is in Gadsden, Alabama. There is a show following that, so make sure if you're looking to learn more as a referee or a wrestler or a manager, go attend that seminar with Aubrey Edwards in Gadsden, Alabama. But Coach Mike Jones, the coach with the most, coming at us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he's got to boast, so raise a toast with the coach with the most. And myself, very pleased to bring our guest with us. He is very familiar to fans here in the Pacific Northwest as we continue behind the scenes of the Pacific Northwest Month. Frank Culberson, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, guys, it's an honor to be here. You guys have a terrific show and um, always some great information about pro wrestling and, and history of a whole bunch of different areas. And so I appreciate you guys having uh, having me on today. Our pleasure to have you on here, and since today is your first time with us, I will give you our traditional first-timer question to start. What led to you getting into the professional wrestling industry? 
Well, I've been um, a wrestling fan, so I'm 63. Uh, I've been a wrestling fan since I was little. It was the connection with both of my grandfathers. Uh, my first wrestling match I ever attended was uh, October 1965 um, at the old Portland Armory in Portland, long before the sports arena, and it was uh, Don Leo Jonathan versus Stan Stasiak. And I can remember Stasiak walking past me and saying hello, and that was really what got me hooked. Um, then I went to Maine, born number one uh, at Memorial Coliseum back in 1968, um, which is a crazy event, uh, one of the largest crowds, non-WWE crowds, uh, in the history of Portland wrestling. And that was a, a bloody uh, first-time match between two former partners. And then I've always just loved announcing, and so I had uh, done a number of uh, different things to get into the business. In uh, 1988 uh, was my first job. Uh, Billy Jack Haynes's um, Oregon Wrestling Federation had folded. A new promotion came out called uh, Pacific Coast Championship Wrestling. They had a TV show. I sent in an audition tape and uh, became one of the announcers. Um, we had Rip Oliver, uh, Tiger Chung Lee, Brian Adams, uh, Kamala came in. Some guys, uh, really good journeyman wrestlers like Moondog Moretti and Joey Jackson. Um, it was a, a really fun show, but not really long lasted as it's competing against Don Owens was, was a, a bit of a uphill battle. But that was my first entrance in, and, and since then I've worked for a number of promotions, uh, uh, from 1988 till about 2000, end of 2006, 2007. Now, you talked about uh, always wanting to be an announcer. Did you have any like, wrestling idol as far as announcers that you looked up to? Were you looking to the Portland announcers for inspiration, or did you watch – some of the national guys like the Gene Okerlunds and the Tony Schiavone's for inspiration, or was it all your own basic style and they weren't really a factor in it? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so on the national level, I liked uh, Gordon Soley because he called the action, um, was very straightforward. Uh, Frank Bonema in Portland, the longtime announcer before Don Koss, uh, was a big influence just because he he was entertaining but not over the top um and you he focused in on the action so he never made it about himself as some announcers tend to do sometimes um because no one i've always told people that i'm never going to get in and i was never going to get into an angle where i would get beat up or something because people aren't going to pay money to come and see frank colbertson in the ring but they're going to come to see the Grappler or Luther or Roddy Piper. Um, and so uh, I think I, for my own style, I like to make sure that the action is called. I come from um, a sponsorship background as well. Uh, so knowing uh, that you have to get your sponsors' mentions in uh, and keep the action going and focus on what is upcoming to keep the viewers interested, I think that's kind of the style that I I hope to have uh, come up with, and um, it's worked out pretty well for me. Now, after Don Owens had left 
the wrestling business, and Sandy Barr shut his version of Portland Wrestling down. You sort of took the mantle of Portland Wrestling in the early 2000s or somewhere thereabouts. What was it about reviving Portland Wrestling as a promoter that appealed to you? So in 2001, I was the business manager at the uh, at the time, what's now the CW, but at the time was the WB uh, television affiliate in Portland, Oregon. We had a studio um, that was not being used. So I talked to the general manager and I said, we need to make some income. We need a revenue stream from this big space. It's just being wasted. And he said, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, Portland Wrestling. He was not from Portland, from Kansas City, uh, but he knew wrestling from uh, you know, being popular back there. And he said, okay, put together a plan. So I did. Um, me, uh, Mike Rogers, uh, John Clark, who at the time was the uh, advertising manager at the station, and Ed Moondog Moretti went to commission meetings. And we asked the question, if we were just a television promotion, no ticket sales, and we were not running out shows outside of the studio, would we need a license? And they said no. So that's when we knew that we could go get the go-ahead to go ahead and put the promotion on because the company that owned the WB station at the time wasn't going to go through all the rigmarole of all of the filings at the time that the state required. So we put together, I got, in chart, got a hold of Ed Moretti and Mike Rogers, and we started putting together some plans. Um, we got the grappler involved, which led us to um, being able to have contact with the Rowdy One, Rowdy Piper. And we were able to put together a pretty good show. Um, it was very successful. Uh, we had some great talent. We had you know, Brian Danielson. Uh, he probably did his very first uh, television match for us. Uh, we have Luther, who now, of course, is in AEW, um, doing successful. Um, he has a great Canadian crew, some guys up from California and some local guys. Uh, so it was very successful. It was a studio wrestling show. Um, the ratings were excellent. Uh, and then we, we ran into a small problem with the state where they demand – actually, I actually still have the letters from the attorney general of the state uh, saying that we were in violation of running a wrestling promotion without a license and threatening me and Steve Dant, the station manager, uh, with jail. Uh, so we talked to our lawyers. We went ahead and did another uh, show, and that's when we got a cease and desist letter um, and uh, stopped the promotion for a little while. At this time, WWE was not coming in uh, to town because of the regulations revolving around testing of wrestlers that they did not want to have their wrestlers go through for reasons that will remain silent. Um, local media picked up the story that we were shut down, and eventually it led to a fan who worked at um, a state senator's uh, office, and he got the state senator to introduce legislation to change the description of wrestling uh, from a real fight to uh, entertainment wrestling, as Vince McMahon had already done back east. And I know a lot of uh, wrestling purists that that 
term that doesn't sit well with them. But what it did was it allowed us to go ahead and, and go forth with the promotion um, and not have to go through all the regulations. WWE then made an agreement that if the legislation went ahead and passed, they would bring a pay-per-view uh, into Portland for the first time, which brought in a serious ticket revenue uh, for the state. And so WWE now comes here on a regular basis. So uh, that was that's pretty much what happened at the WB. The station then sold. Uh, it was owned by a company out of California called As- um, Acme, just like the Roadrunner. They sold to Tribune Broadcasting out of Chicago, which was a giant uh, television conglomeration. Uh, they just came in and said, we don't want to do wrestling. Um, Comcast Sportsnet contacted me and said, we do want to do wrestling because they knew what the ratings were, and we had brought in a lot of sponsors that weren't currently on the WB station. So I uh, quit my job at the WB and went off to do Portland Wrestling on Comcast Sportsnet for an, a number of years um, and had some really really good success with some terrific talent um, until our main sponsor changed advertising agency um, and they went in a, a totally different direction. And so that uh, then 2008 was just around the corner with the uh, dot-com bust and interest rates and things were changing and, and that's when we decided to go ahead and stop the show. Obviously, like you said, the state had the commission and there were a lot of regulations in place. One of the regulations that a lot of states uh, have, uh, including here in Washington, is a regulation on blood as it relates to pro wrestling. In the era we're in now where we know more about blood-borne pathogens, um, the rules seem Mm -hmm. to make a little more sense to some people. A lot of people still think there's a time and a place for blood in wrestling. Some people uh, will think that every show should have some blood on it still, like we did decades ago. When you were promoting Portland Wrestling, did you have an official stance as far as blood on the shows, and was it in accordance to what the state regulations were or did you have to come up with your own policies how did the blood factor into your version of portland wrestling so once well first for when the when we before the state got involved with the wb promotion of portland wrestling we were not going to have blood on the studio shows uh it was more uh because of the affiliation with the wb they didn't want that sort of a product associated with their name. Uh, so it was, uh, I mean, we, we did angles like uh, a cigar burning someone's eye, things like that, um, but nothing in the in the realm of blood uh, for the WB. Then when we got over and started doing it on my own and the state regulations had completely changed, um, the blood uh, wasn't an issue that we took an, an, an official, like, written stance on, but I would say that as we looked at and programmed the show, um, and usually it was Moretti, uh, Grappler, uh, Piper, 
Uh, then I would send the ideas out to some of the individuals involved, like uh, Luther or Vinnie Massaro down in California who wrestled on Lucha Underground for a while. Um, and we would look at those, Mike Rogers, of course, and get some ideas. Uh, see, But we didn't have blood on a, on a regular basis because then it just becomes something that people expect. Uh, it doesn't shock you, and it just becomes one of the mill. It's kind of like how I feel tables are in wrestling today when you have two matches on a two-hour show that involves putting someone through a table. It's lost the value of the big pop that it had. Um, so we use blood uh, judiciously. Um, I can recall uh, one instance where we had one incident that went bad, which was uh, Brappler and Scotty Mack were a tag team. Um, Ed Moretti was kind of instigating them, trying to make Grappler think Scotty Mack was talking about him being old and out of touch. So they went for a uh, Grappler went and kicked, loaded his boot, of course, uh, kicked Scotty in the head, and, and Scotty went down. He was supposed to get some juice right before his main event at Pacific Northwest Championship match because he was the champion. Um, and Scotty... Uh, admits cut himself a little. Uh, it didn't go much at first, so he tried it again and um, went too deep. And so it was an eleven. It was supposed to be an eleven-minute match. Um, and when he put his head up, I could see the blood squirting. Um, so we had to make an audible, and he required twenty-eight stitches. Uh, it was a spectacular amount of blood. People in the audience were amazed they were shocked but the one thing it did was of course Scotty got sewed up with 28 stitches but what it did was it really heated up the feud between Scotty Mack and the grappler and made people want to come back the next week that's the purpose of blood it's not just to be there to be there it's to further the revenue stream and further the story along the line so we use blood when necessary um uh, I know Piper and Fidel Sierra, uh, the assassin, the destroyer, whatever names he was using, had a, a flag match at the Oregon State Fair that we put on, um, and and Piper really let uh, Fidel Sierra bleed a lot, and it was spectacular. The fans loved it, uh, but it wasn't on every match and wasn't on every single week. Now, one of the things in the modern era that has become sort of an irritant to a lot of fans is the non-finish of matches, especially the main event matches where you'll have no contests and double disqualifications and that type of thing where none of the stars actually lose an important match on television um, it's been around for quite a while, but it seems to be something a lot of promotions will go to just to keep the stars from having to lose so they can have a loss on a pay-per-view type of show. When you were running, mm -hmm. did you have an opinion on using sort of the non-finishes on television, or were you a fan of more traditional win-loss type of structure? 
Um, that's a great question. Um, I think since since we were using um, old, older, mostly older school people to help book um, a Grappler, uh, Moretti, uh, Mike Rogers. Uh, so that is pretty much ingrained Piper into who they are and as their view of wrestling. Uh, so we used mostly um, we used most I would say most of our matches were finishes, um, but it wasn't about as a big star couldn't lose. Um, as Ed Moretti says in if you read uh, Excitement in the Air, Ed Moretti's interview, um, you'll know that. He talks about he didn't worry about ever losing a match because he knew how to get his heat back, whether it was immediately after the match or in a post-match interview or an interview the next week or in his next match, he could get his heat back. So part of the reason why today's fans don't enjoy um, that is because they've gone to protecting the quote-unquote stars. But stars, the New York Yankees, were a great team for decades. Uh, but they also lost. It didn't make, mean that they weren't the great New York Yankees. Um, Babe Ruth hit a lot of home runs. Babe Ruth struck out a lot. Uh, for modern people of the Seattle area, I'd say Dave Keenan hit a lot of home runs, but he struck out a whole lot. So I think times evolve. Um, I'm not a, a huge fan of, a, of some of the wrestling that I see on today um, because I think um, – it loses some of the rules that make wrestling great. Um, the guys that are spilling out of the ring and wrestling for outside the ring for three minutes with a 20 count um, makes no sense to me. Um, I will say Brian Danielson, who is modern and evolving with today's wrestling, uh, if you look at his match with Brian da- or with uh, Hangman Page, uh, his last one where he lost, Every time he would go out of the ring, he would try to roll back under the ropes at some point, break the count, and then roll back out. And those are the little things that make things that stories have to be told. They have to be uh, detailed. That makes the fans believe. Um, but if it's just for pure entertainment, um, then it rules don't matter. But I always tried. I don't think stars have to lose at some point. Um, to be able to further a storyline along, whether it's a, a good guy losing to the heel um, and finally making his revenge or the heel losing so that he can go to another territory. One of the people in the history of Portland wrestling that has influenced sort of what we would consider veterans Today here in 2022 in the Portland area is Sandy Barr. He trained a lot of the people that are still active that have been around for 20 to 25 years. Uh, A lot of people that aren't from the Pacific Northwest may not realize how important he actually was to wrestling in the Pacific Northwest for probably close to 30 years plus, but he very much was. What type of legacy do you think Sandy Barr does have here in the Pacific Northwest, and what type of legacy do you think he should have on a wider scale? 
And so that's um, Sandy is a for me as an icon in Portland because uh, I watched him on television uh, as a referee along with Shag Thomas. Uh, occasionally, Donning as he did much younger in his career, um, and he was a a great trainer of wrestlers. Um, the modern fan doesn't know much about him uh, because there isn't lots of footage of Portland wrestling. Um, Rich Patterson has uh, saved some, so there are some episodes from the 70s, um, but mostly 80s um, and on. So you don't really get to see Sandy Barr. But those that know Sandy, um, know of his sons, um, Jesse and and Theron, and of course Art, um, know that he had uh, a great influence in wrestling. You look at Art Barr when he left Portland, not only this Beetlejuice in Portland, uh, when Roddy turned him into Beetlejuice, but when he went to uh, Mexico and uh, had a, an amazing uh, run as a tag team there. Um, he influenced what tag team wrestling was in Mexico that has now influenced what tag team wrestling is in certain parts of the United States. I think if you look at people that worked on Sandy's shows, they know that he was, Sandy was very professional. He didn't put up with a bunch of nonsense in the ring. He knew what he wanted. And whether it's a, a Lou Andrews or an Ed Moretti that worked for him, or I think of a Tony Kazina, uh, who many people might not know, uh, but good friends uh, helped train uh, Davey Richards, uh, helped train Kyle O'Reilly, who now, of course, has gone on to great things, Kyle O'Reilly, and now in AEW, but was in NXT. Of course, Davey Richards was Ring of Honor world champion. Um, we used Davey. He, in fact, one of his first television matches was at the Portland Wrestling that we did on Comcast. But Tony is now in Australia. He runs with New Japan Pro Wrestling, the Fale Dojo, and he is training great wrestlers over there. He learned from Sandy. He learned from uh, by trained by Matt Bourne and by Billy Jack and by um, uh, Buzz Sawyer or Bart Sawyer here in town. So the legacy that Sandy has is being passed on through generations of wrestlers. Uh, the wrestlers that Tony teaches in Australia will then be able to one day teach other wrestlers. So his legacy maybe isn't well known like a Don Owen, um, but Sandy has an influence in wrestling that will go on for years and years. Now, when you got into promoting, you, like you said, had a background in television. On the independent level, it is very, very hit or miss if your typical independent wrestler or referee or manager or what have you understands how to work as far as a TV production rather than just a live show, a lot of people uh, don't understand, for example, that timing has to be just right. A lot of people don't understand uh, camera shots and being in the right place at the right time for the camera shot to work rather than just for the fans that are in attendance. There's a lot of things that a lot of independent wrestlers don't, fully know how to do as far as television production. 
when you were running Portland Wrestling, I know it was 20 years ago, but how well-versed was the crew that you had as far as understanding and being able to work for a television product? Uh, so I had studied uh, professional wrestling as a production uh, when I was in college, uh, nine, late 1970s, so just leave it at that, uh, at the University of Oregon. Uh, and so I looked at Kansas City. I looked at some Florida promotions, um, uh, Los Angeles, uh, some of the other East Coast ones to see local television, to see how they were doing. And, and for the most part, truthfully, they were doing terrible. Um, you have you had poor lighting. Um, you had poor sound. And uh, it just it, it just wasn't it wasn't professional. Now fans loved it because that's kind of what they knew at the time. At the WB, I had a I had a studio. I had studio lights. Uh, we had studio cameras. I had professional cameramen that worked for the station. We had a, a sound director, um, an engineer, um, a regular direct calling shots, uh, teaching people. And then when we went on to Comcast, I had a, a an actual Comcast production truck uh, that we could put in the back of the arena that we were using. Uh, and I had my own television lights that we hung up um, you have to white balance the cameras. You have to make sure the sound is right, whether you're miking the audience or you're miking the ring. Uh, those levels, you have to do those things in advance. Um, a lot of promotions want to be on television, and they can have a good product, but they don't have the expertise or the time to put together what it takes to really run a professional television show. When you're trying to then sell your show to a station or to an advertiser, if they look and it's dark and you can't see and the sound is bad, they have other places to put their money. But if you could put together a, a top-rate program that looks professional, no one's going to compete with WWE. AEW has some great graphics and they've got some giant screens. They would be hard to compete with, but you can do a pretty decent job. If you look at any of the Defy programs up in that are running in Seattle and some in Los Angeles and other places, Defy is doing a pretty good job. They've upgraded from last year. I still think they have another step or two to go where they could be just really, really top-notch. But that's the kind of things that you have to do if you're going to take your program to the next level and interest people. When you talk about camera, one of the first things that we had to teach people was here's where the hard camera is when you're – on a house mic, I don't want to see your back to the audience on the three sides. I want to see you facing the hard camera. If you're going to do certain moves, here's where your cameras are going to be. We want you to come out of the ring onto this side. People get lost. That's going to happen because, like I said, they're independents. They've never really done television. But sooner or later, when you're working with people like a grappler or a, a Moretti or a Piper, a Mike Miller, they know and they can, if they're in the ring leading, they're going to make sure they throw the guy outside the ring to the side that they want. Luther, um, who people, I know Luther's older now. He's in his 50s, and he's, he's uh, towards the end of his career in AEW. Um, Luther in the 90s and early 2000s was spectacular. Um, Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer 
listed him as the most underrated, best gimmick of the 90s that didn't get over yet. Um, so Luther uh, was excellent on television. He knew exactly where to look and how to play up to the camera. And he was great on interviews. People like a Moretti, uh, a Grappler, I mentioned Piper. I didn't ever have to tell them what to say. I could say, okay, we're going to talk about this match coming up, and boom, off they go. Other people had to be led. You had to be able, as an announcer, give them a line or feed it, you know, feed them something for them to respond to. An example is Brian Danielson, who is spectacular. You look at him and MJF right now uh, in the ring. They just and, and and Punk. They can all just go back and forth. Brian Danielson on his first interview on WB because we did them in post. I'm not exaggerating. I had a line. I said, this is what I'm going to say to you, and I want you to talk about this upcoming match. It took me 11 takes to get him to say enough that we could then piece together because he had never talked. He was a wrestler, and he knew how to wrestle, and he was great even early in his career. But talking, that took time for him to learn. It's why old school guys um, would sit in a car and do three-minute promos. And another guy would tell him, okay, give me 30 seconds or give me a minute. Because in TV, that's what you have. If you have a minute for an interview, you don't have 90 seconds for an interview. So those are the things that television teaches you um, that wrestlers who want to make it to the next level need to know. Well, at this point, my co-host, Coach Mike Jones, is with us. I know Coach has questions, so I'm going to pass you over to him. Awesome. Always always glad to talk to Coach. Hey, Frank. Nice to have you on today. And I want to congratulate you on your your guys' success with the new book. And I appreciate you helping Mike on that book. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Mike and I actually met. Uh, back in 1994, um, Moondog Moretti was doing a, a show in Canby, Oregon for a fundraiser. It was going to be on television. It was called the Canby Brawl. You can Google it um, on our look at YouTube, and you can find it. It's been uploaded recently. And that's where Mike Rogers and I met, and we did announcing for the first time uh, together ever on that show. Then Mike uh, eventually did some announcing on WB with me, um, and we've just been friends. We've been to WrestleMania 19 together. Uh, I just had a long history uh, of friendship. Um, so I was a subscriber uh, to Ring Around the Northwest that Mike put together for 30 years. Um, I look forward to having that come. I always tell people my favorite week of the month was when I would get – a Wrestling Observer, the Figure Four Newsletter, the Torch, uh, Ring Around the Northwest, all in the mail on the same day, and be able to listen to Jim Valley on uh, Total Chaos Radio in Portland. That was a great, great day. So, nice. I've, uh, so Mike has, and I'm not telling anybody something they don't know about Mike. His newsletters were really fun and informative, but uh, spelling and grammar and different parts of it weren't his portrait. He was great at getting the information and putting it together. Um, so I know Mike has uh, shared how he's thought about a book, talked to different people about a book. And then earlier 
uh, or I guess mid of last year, uh, we went to lunch, and I, uh, I think, kind of twisted his arm a little bit and convinced him that now was the time to do the book. Wrestling was hot again. AEW was on the rise, um, and there were great ways to, to market a market a book on social media. And he has great interviews. I mean, when I'm so he would send them to me. Some he had. I like in a Word document, and I would go through and do some professional programming and correction and make sure things made sense, check spelling. Others were just copies, paper copies of the newsletter that he would then type or I would type, and then we would go from there. Uh, but as I would edit these, it was like I was a kid again, uh, reading about Beauregard, Claw, or Dex Savage. Um, you know, those things were just a Tom Pritchard, things that you don't – you kind of start in the back of your mind, but you kind of forget, um, brought all those to the forefront. So I, it was just like a, a passion erupted in me again. And so we got it done pretty quickly. Um, so it was a lot of editing, a lot of looking at pictures, deciding what went into the first volume. I can tell you we're working on volume two, which should be out, let's say, March or April maybe. Uh, and it is spectacular as well. There are some, going to be some amazing interviews in Volume Two, uh, but it's it is a if anybody who loves wrestling or knows somebody that loves wrestling, um, this is a book that it's an easy read. Um, it's got some great historical uh, information, but it also gives you a real flavor of what wrestling in the '70s and the '80s and for some of them in the 90s, uh, was like. Uh, when you read uh, Red Bastien or uh, a Nick Kozak or the Don Leo Jonathan interviews, you know, you can feel how they felt in the ring. You find out who they respected, who they thought of was a great promoter and who wasn't a great promoter or who was a good payoff and who wasn't. And sometimes they're the same guy. Some people thought, I would... Congratulations first to Don Owen being elected to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame today. Well-deserved, 62% of the vote to get in, finally gets in. Uh, It's a real honor uh, for Don and his um, family that's still alive. Um, But you could find people who thought Don was a great guy and a great payoff. And then you find other wrestlers who were stars who thought Don wasn't a great guy and wasn't a great payoff guy. Uh, so you get to find that. You find out who liked working with Dutch Savage in the ring and who didn't like working with Dutch Savage. Bull Ramos and Dutch had legendary feuds in Portland. What did they think of each other? That's the kind of information that you find in Excitement in the Air, the Voices of Northwest Wrestling. It is. Um, it will take you back to what I consider the golden age of wrestling for me. I can't – for some people – uh, the Hulk Hogan era was the golden age of wrestling. And for them, that's I, I have no objections to how they feel about that. But for me, it was the 70s, um, late, 80, late 60s, and most of the 70s for me. And this is what that book brings to mind. I will say that we also, because people like the more current, you know, the book has, it has a loose as interview. I, I mean, who has that? It has an interview with Don Owen, one of the 
maybe only interviews he gave to, I'll use the term sheet writer, because that's what Don did, um, which, because Don was not a fan of sheets at all. Uh, but that is in the book. Brian Danielson, who had been in uh, the Super 8 uh, tournament and wrestled in ECCW and was going back home to live with his mom to go to junior college because he thought his career was in the Northwest. Little did he know at the time that he would become one of the biggest stars in the WWE and main event WrestleMania. Um, so you have that. Uh, Brian Alvarez uh, from the Wrestling Observer uh, figure four newsletter um, is a, a great guy, not a big guy. And he talks about how he started and how it came to when he knew it was time to stop. Uh, but a great interview. Um, current guys, uh, Scotty Mack, who is a phenomenal talent at uh, ECCW in Canada, um, is in there. And then uh, Kyle O'Reilly, who had been just locally trained by Tony Kazina uh, and was working with Davey Richards, as I mentioned. Uh, he thought he was going to be wrestling in ECCW in Canada for quite a while. Yeah, so you never know where their careers are going to go, but you get to see where they started. And for some of the guys, you get to see where they ended. Yeah, and you're right. I used to look forward to the ring around the Northwest and other ones like that, too. Every month, it was like a highlight waiting for that day. And then myself, I've been starting to write a book myself. Uh, I went and hired a publishing uh marketing coach patrick snow and mm-hmm. since then i've learned i've learned a lot and uh, i continue to learn more especially i learned a little bit from matt legit and from mike rogers last week was on and um it was i was an honor for me to be one of his interviews and um so who were some of the people that uh you admired growing up in wrestling um, so for me, uh, the local legends that I eventually got to work with, um, uh, Jimmy Snuka, uh, we used him, um, back in that, when I was talking about meeting Mike Rogers, the main event of that match of uh, that evening was Buddy Rose versus Jimmy Snuka. Um, and to be able to actually meet Jimmy Snuka was, was a thrill because I had seen him so many times in, in Portland to meet uh, Roddy Piper and uh, what a terrific guy he was. He was always so helpful. Um, when we were at WB, um, he was with TNA, and so he would come in and we would shoot some promos for him that he could send off, and we did some talent exchanges through stuff like that. So So that was... Uh, somebody that I had always looked up to. Um, even guys that maybe on a national level weren't huge, like uh, Amin Mike Miller, um, uh, Ed Moondog Moretti was extremely nice to me at all times and helped me learn things in the business. Um, Rip Oliver uh, was a great guy. Uh, he actually came after his heart attack, came in and did one last, I think his last, professional wrestling interview was at Portland Wrestling uh, with the Grappler. Um, so pe- meeting people like that, um, as a kid, I loved the claw and Beauregard. Uh, 
Um, and this is my, I'm a Mark story. Uh, Bo, my grandparents owned a couple of leather shops in Portland, and Beauregard had bought, brought in a leather jacket to be altered. And my grandfather, who was a wrestling fan, told me his jacket is downstairs. And I must have gone down and stared at that jacket for two hours just because it was <laughs> Beauregard. Um, nice. And so those are the, those are the guys that uh, um, influenced me. I think Beauregard, because he was so theatrical, uh, was a favorite of mine. The different costumes every week. You know, uh, Beauregard, uh, Larry isn't a big guy, but especially given the time frame that he was wrestling in, uh, but he was very entertaining. And then you have Portland wasn't big on mask guys, uh, so the claw Tom Andrews was mysterious to me as as a sixth grader. And uh, so those are the guys that, that really influenced me. I know Buddy Rose was here for a really long time uh, and uh, was a terrific help to a lot of wrestlers coming up, people that are still in the business. Um, and so people like that, um, I think, influenced me in, in a lot of positive ways in wrestling. And I should say grappler right. uh, is uh, a good friend. Um, I know he's moved on out of the state, uh, but very, very helpful um, and full of uh, knowledge. Nice. And what was some here. of the mo- what was some of the most memorable matches you've seen? Uh, so, other than remembering Don Leo John or Stasiak walking past me <laughs> when I was uh, seven years old, uh, my most memorable matches. Uh, that we produced, um, we did. Portland did a uh, Portland Wrestling did the uh, a pay per view, an actual pay per view on Comcast Sportsnet, um, and the uh, we had uh, Mustafa, uh, ECW fame, come in and wrestle Billy Two Eagles in a hardcore match. Uh, we had the Blanchard brothers against each other in a cage match, which was tremendous. Two guys who really, who, who especially uh, with some Memphis background, who really understand cage matches and what, what old school wrestling was about. Um, I think we did a Kaiser show, Kaiser Stadium show, uh, where we used uh, what Matt Bourne, clown, the original, came in. Uh, and then we had to, with Snooker came back in for that match. And, and those were those were terrific. Um I remember uh, guys who know how to uh, use a cage where it's not the, again, this is my old school bias, it's not the point to climb over the top of the cage, but the cage is actually part of the weapon just in the feud that goes that's in the ring where you've got to that point. Uh, Moretti and Grappler in Eugene uh, followed a, a Moretti and Grappler cage match in Portland. Um, bleeding buckets. Uh, grappler's mask uh, covered with instead of the the silver it was red spectacular matches uh, that the fans really really were eating up Um, those are Luther and uh, I know you're probably familiar with Reno Scum who has gone on to was in impact for a while Uh, Adam Thornstow and Luster the Legend we had on the main event of the pay-per-view was Luster the Legend versus uh, Dr. Luther in a barbed wire death match. Um, 
that's as as, as extreme as we got. Uh, it, people who think it's fake barbed wire, we bought it at a farm store out in Troutdale. We wrapped the ropes. Um, Shauna, who you probably know, put the gloves on and helped wrap that ring. Uh, Shauna's always a great friend to any promotion in Portland as far as getting the, the ring set up um, and doing the things necessary for a promotion that go unnoticed. Uh, so thanks, Sean, if you're listening. Um, but that match was spectacularly uh, bloody um, and the end of a feud. Um, so those are the kind of matches that I, that I remember. I will tell you, I went the lady that would be my wife for 29 years uh, at the time. I took her to, she loved wrestling. We went to the Portland Sports Arena um, and saw the uh, sheep herders against Piper and Martell in a cage match. And she was screaming her head off, and it was super, uh, you know, a sheep herder match. You know how those were back in the day, not the WWE sheep herders, but uh, old school sheep herders. And uh, I remember that match because it was extremely violent, extremely bloody. Um, but that's how I knew she would become my wife if she liked that sort of a match. Nice. All right. And then um, we're getting down on time, so we want to make sure you have ample time to pr- plug and promote anything you want. Um, so make sure you do that before we're done. And also, okay. uh, we have a couple standard questions that we like to ask. I'm sure Sign Guy would like to know what's your favorite coffee. My favorite coffee? I am a dark roast uh, guy who buys organic uh, beans, uh, making sure that uh, they're sustainably uh, developed and, and picked and shipped. Um, so there's a number of those that, that I like. Uh, if I'm out and about, um, I'll go ahead and drink Starbucks dark roast if I have to. Uh, but other than that, um, I look for a, a dark organic coffee, black. I've been drinking coffee since huh. I was about eight. Black all the time. Okay, nice. Yeah, and, um, I really enjoyed your Portland wrestling. It was nice to see a young sideshow on there. Uh, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm proud of Sideshow. He's uh, part of the Real School Army. He rebranded himself. Now he's Moondog Ace, and it's mm. just another great character that he's he's had in the past. And we're proud to have him part of the Real School Army. And that's yeah. I love sideshow. He he had some great gimmicks for us, uh, being in the furnace and looking at pictures of clowns. Uh, uh, he was a young talent at the time. Uh, so you know how green wrestlers are. I'm glad he's still pursuing it. Um, a really nice guy. You look at some of the guys that uh, were young at that time that are still working around uh, town, and uh, it's exciting to see that they're they're following their passion. Definitely, and uh, I look at Sideshow as he's one of the better wrestlers around here. Well, and you never know that, like Kyle O'Reilly, who never knew that he was going to be at the next step. What's next for, for, I'll still call him Sideshow, you never know. But as long as he keeps at it and promoting himself, um, someday somebody might notice, and uh, I hope they do. He's a, he's a, a, a terrific man. Exactly. Yep, okay, so uh, I just want to 
plug plug my stuff real quick before we give you back to sign side or uh, sign guy. Anyway, uh, you can reach me at Coach Mike Jones on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I'm also on, on at the Real School Army and NGW Green Room. Thanks for everything you've done, and we we wish you all the continued set success in the world. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. it. Means a lot. All right. Well, like Coach said, we're down to the last few minutes, so floor is all yours. Anything you want to say, plug or promote, go for it. Sure. So I'll start uh, with uh, making sure people know, go to Amazon, type in Excitement in the Air. If you have not bought the book and read it, you'll love it. It is exciting. Um, If you know someone who loved Portland wrestling, a grandfather, an uncle, uh, grandma, uh, lots of grandmas loved wrestling. Don't kid yourself. Uh, Get them the book. They'll love it. Um, and uh, it's a it is something that you'll read several times. I, I absolutely believe that. But I'll plug local wrestling. Um, DOA has been around for a number of years. They have a show coming up, uh, 7.30 this um, Saturday in Portland, DOA Wrestling. Uh, check it out. Um, a group coming back to Eugene, POW, uh, Brian Zane and the Blanchards have put together a show that's going to be on uh, January 22nd, I believe, at uh, in Eugene at the U of O campus, POW. Check that out. Um, DOA is at the Eagles Lodge here in Portland, by the way. It's a change for them. Um, the Phi, if, if, you, if anybody loves some independent wrestling that's really solid, the Phi Wrestling has their fifth anniversary show coming up in February. It's in Seattle at the uh, University of Washington at one of the halls there. Please check it out. It's Specular Wrestling. Um, really well done. The promoter loves wrestling. Um, and they got this guy helping do interviews called Jim Valley. And, uh, and I got to say, I've been uh, a fan and friend uh, of Jim Valley's for a long time. Um, since we first started talking back in 2001 at, at the WB. And, um, Jim also is on Wrestling Observer. He's got a show where he talks about the Portland Wrestling. Uh, it's Portland Wrestling Cast, so I'll plug Jim Valley. Um, Jim, I know you're out there. Uh, continue to get well. It's uh, a great guy. Um, but I believe it with excitement in the air, the Voices of Northwest Wrestling, Volume 1, on Amazon. Please, please, please go and buy it. And I want to thank you for having me on today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's a great show. You guys do a remarkable job, some real professionalism. Um, and so I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on. Uh, I guess I should give a shout-out to uh, Mike Rogers. Mike, thanks for letting me edit the book. Hey, Frank, and how do people get a hold of you? Uh, on on Twitter, Excitement Air, um, Excitement Air, at Excitement Air. Uh, they can uh, get me on, on Twitter there or on Facebook as Frank Colbertson. Uh, you'll find me. You can uh, send me a message, and I'll, I'll be glad to respond. But uh, we're uh, putting out a lot of exciting stuff on Twitter. If you like some great pictures um, in today, in fact, I just posted a picture of uh, Mike Rogers and Jim Cornette together um, probably about, I don't know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, but stuff like that we're putting out all the time on the Twitter account. So ex- Excitement Air or Facebook, Frank Colbertson. And Mike Rogers has Facebook as well. 
Nice. All right. Well, Mike Rogers, hopefully the book does well. Frank Culbertson did a great job editing it. I enjoyed it a lot. And, Frank, definitely we enjoyed having you here. It was a great time. Hopefully we'll get the chance to do this again. I don't know why it took us so long to get you, but definitely glad you were here today. Not a problem. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again right at the release of Volume 2 coming up. Absolutely. We'll do it for Volume 2. Fans, if you've not gotten the book after we've discussed it at length over the last couple of weeks, remedy that. Get the book. Lots of fun. Reprinting of some old interviews. There's guys that are still on television to this very day in there. Guys that were big in the 60s and 70s and even before are in there. It covers a wide gamut, so pick up a copy of it. Jump on the YouTubes. Try to look up some old Frank Culbertson era. Portland Wrestling, a lot of great talent passed through there. So I think fans will enjoy that if they search that out. We'll be back with you Sunday afternoon. We have former WCW star Ice Train joining us. So that should be a great time. And then one week from this very day, we continue on with Behind the Scenes of the Pacific Northwest Month, and we will have Tim Simmons. He is merchandise table manager at Blue Collar Wrestling. He is timekeeper sometimes. He runs the music. He does a lot of the behind-the-scenes things that a lot of fans may not take into consideration that is needed to run a successful show but it definitely is. He'll be with us, so make sure you have plans to be with us. You can find me at Northwest Pro tonight. Paragon will be back in town to defend his Washington State title that he is taking all over the country to defend. So tonight at the Martial Arts Dojo in Southfield, tomorrow back at the Civic Center in Vaughan, so find me there. Get out there, support your local independents wherever it might be. New Japan hitting Seattle tonight, so if you're in our area, you've got choices. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to everyone soon. Hey,